This morning, we're looking at Jesus Christ's miracle of healing the hemorrhaging woman who touched his garment. Of course, all of Lord Jesus' days were full in ministry. The day before this particular miracle that we're going to study, he had cast demons out of some persons and put them into pigs. He had cast the demons into pigs, and surprisingly, the pig farmers of that area were very angry. They were irate. They were more interested in pork profits than in persons. After that situation happened, that Jesus encountered a large crowd. His popularity and notoriety was growing at this point in his ministry, and there was a huge crowd that he encountered, and no doubt they were there because they'd heard he had done miracles. They were hoping he would do a miracle in their sight and experience, and so they were packed out. Huge crowd. Mark 5, 21 is where we'll begin in the text. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. In that packed crowd, that multitude that had assembled to see a miracle was a certain father, a desperate father, a fearful father, a father who had a very much of an emergency. His name was Jairus. And Jairus had an emergency because his precious 12-year-old daughter, which he, by the way, who he, by the way, loved far more than pigs, was seriously sick. In fact, she was dying, and he knew it. I can only imagine what that would be like. Thank God I've never been in his shoes or sandals, but I can only imagine what that must have been like for Jairus. And it's interesting that we know that Jairus and Jesus knew each other. They were not strangers to one another. We know this because Jairus was one of the synagogue officials, we call him an elder, in Jesus' home synagogue in Capernaum. And so no doubt they saw each other each Sabbath. They perhaps talked to each other many Sabbaths. Uh, Jairus and Jesus were acquainted with each other. And I would think it's not a stretch to say that Jesus was acquainted with Jairus' daughter who was near death. 22 to 23, Mark 5. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and upon seeing him fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. Jesus was this dad, Jairus' best and last hope for his daughter to be healed. And so he entreated Christ. He begged the Lord Jesus to come and lay hands on her and, and heal her. In fact, Jairus had made himself a part of that large crowd that day because He was coming to see Jesus. He wanted an unannounced appointment with Jesus to ask for healing for his daughter. And the Lord Jesus, showing his great concern for the individual and not his magnetic draw to any crowd of popularity, he decided he would go with Jairus right away, go to see the daughter, go to heal the daughter, go to help. He could leave behind the clamoring crowd that others might have been impressed with so he could leave the, as it were, the 99 to go for the one little lammy that needed his help. That's the kind of compassionate Savior you have and I have this morning. So Jesus Christ had no trouble leaving, walking away from, uh, demanding and adoring a congregation to to help this 12-year-old girl who was on death's doorstep. To do that, Jesus walked away from the many to help the one. 
Mark 5, 24. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. So Jesus makes the decision that he's going to walk with Jairus back to Jairus' house and minister to his sick-unto-death daughter. But in the course of doing that, the crowd followed him. And Jesus found that getting out of a crowd that size was not like a, a hot knife butter, a hot knife going through butter, but rather pulling a bedsheet through bougainvilleas. People were brushing up against him. People were in the way. And of course, the Lord Jesus, in getting out of the crowd, was also bumping into persons inadvertently. There were just so many people, wall-to-wall people, a herd of people, human congestion and human gridlock and human herding would have been a bodyguard's nightmare. Too many hands to have to watch, too many facial expressions to have to read, a bodyguard's nightmare, but a pickpocket's dream. And so the Lord Jesus went from that melee to the sick-unto-death 12-year-old's house. And in 25 to 28 in the account, we read, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. This dear woman was up against it. She was at the end of her rope in many ways. She was obligated. That is, she had to be mindful of her serious medical problem each and every day. She was frustrated. No doctor could help her. She was deflated. She had spent all of her money to get well, and she was getting worse. She was relegated. She was demoted from the ranks of the healthy in society, and she had become struck down with sickness, and she was not allowed in the temple. She was not allowed near anyone else. She wasn't even allowed in her own home. She was relegated. But she was educated. She knew what Jesus had done for others. She had heard about Jesus. And in verse 28 again, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. She, was also, she had also infiltrated. It was on purpose that she got herself into that particular crowd that particular day. She was motivated. She decided that she had to get to Jesus, not to another doctor, not to another medicine. She had to get to Jesus. She was motivated, but she was also calculated. She looked for the best opportunity to touch Jesus, unnoticed. Why unnoticed? Because In Jewish law, when she was defiled by her illness, she touched anybody who was clean. She would defile them. So she was calculated. She looked for the best opportunity to express her faith in Jesus by touching him. She comes up from behind him, and she touches the hem of his garment. But she wasn't just calculated. She was activated. She actually reached out. She made the plan in her mind how she would do it, but she didn't stop at the plan. She executed the plan, and she, in fact, reached out quietly, unnoticed, and touched Jesus' garments, hem. Praise God, she was regulated. She was healed. She stopped her hemorrhaging altogether. Verse 29, and immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. 
Just think of it. Just imagine it. Twelve years were healed with one touch. By the way, according to Luke 8, verse 42, Jairus' daughter, who was near death, was 12 years old when Jesus raised her from the dead later in this account. This means that as long as the woman had a problem with hemorrhaging, the little girl, Jairus' daughter, had been alive 12 years. Oh, the relief it must have been for her to be healed by Jesus' compassionate power. Many financial outlays were curtailed by one act of faith. Jesus-less medicine moved over for Jesus-filled miracle. Weight gave way to wonder. Broken became whole. Second-class citizen found her place again in everyday living. What a relief. As I mentioned, her medical condition had rendered her ceremonially unclean by Jewish law, and she was banned from the temple for 12 years. She was kept outside the city gate for 12 years. She was even not allowed in her own home for 12 years. But Jesus, bless him, his his healing of her like that erased the 12 years and caused her to anticipate the rest of the years of her life. Now, in several ways, this miracle healing is a picture of God's salvation for all of us in Christ. How so? Well, first, the woman was helpless to help herself. She was helpless to help herself, and we're told in Scripture that uh, that's the way it is for us. Romans 6, 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, when you were free in regard to righteousness, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. We all were helpless before Christ saved us, but there's more. The woman was hopeless, and so were we before Christ. Ephesians 2.12. Remember, that you were at at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having now, watch, no hope and without God in the world. We were hopeless before Christ, just like the woman was hopeless. The woman in this miracle was defiled, And the belief was that she would defile anyone else that she touched. That reminds me of the great exchange that took place between our righteous Savior and us as sinners in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. She was helpless, so were we. She was hopeless, so were we. She was defiled, so were we. The woman going on, she was figuratively adopted by Christ. Christ, in reassuring the healed woman, who probably had terror and fear in her eyes when they met Jesus' eyes, he called her daughter. This is the only place in the New Testament when Jesus is recorded to have called anyone daughter. He had a treatment of her, a love for her, an acceptance of her as if he were her daddy and she, were, she was 
his daughter. That reminds me of John 1.12. But as many as received him, Christ, to them he gives the power to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know if you're saved, you are adopted daughter or son of God. That's not all. The uh, only way this woman was delivered from her physical illness was through her faith in Christ alone. Jesus makes the point in verse 34, after he's healed her and after he's called her daughter, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She had done all the work that she needed to do. She had done all the work she could do without any result whatsoever. But when she placed her trust, when she placed her faith in Jesus, simply by getting to that crowd, putting her hand out and touching him in faith, by putting her faith in Jesus, she was delivered from her illness immediately, completely. That's like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one would boast. And so it's important to see that this precious woman had faith first and then healing second, as Jesus pointed out in verse 34. And we need to see that it's after we exercise faith in Christ that we can and should become faithful in following him. It's after being clothed in Christ's righteousness and holiness that we can live righteously and in a holy manner. It's after being cleansed from our sin that we can confess and we should confess Jesus Christ as being our Lord and our Savior. Now, moving on from this marvelous miracle that illustrates any sinner's salvation from sin through Christ, I want to move on next to Christ's compassion. Christ's compassion as we see it in this particular miracle. Christ's compassion then, back then, Today and always, Christ's compassion is powerful. Christ's compassion is powerful. After all, it was Christ's compassion that attracted the woman in the first place. It said in verse 27a, after hearing about Jesus. We're not told exactly what she heard about Jesus, but no doubt she had heard about him healing other people, exercising demons from other persons who were demon-possessed. She'd heard about his compassion. He wasn't a stuffy, remote, hard-to-get-to rabbi. He was with the people, for the people. She'd heard about his compassion, I'm sure of it. And it was hearing about Jesus' compassion that was powerful enough to attract her to that crowd that day with that intention. Second, Christ's compassion alleviated the woman's problem. She came to him. Weary, she left from him with rest. She came to him weighed down. She left him with relief. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30 are precious verses for all of us who are pressed in upon, stressed, overworked, weary. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Christ's compassion in all of its power to review, it attracted the woman, it alleviated the woman's problems, and Christ's compassion assured the woman of her healing. He made it plain, verbal, audible. You are healed. In case you wondered, which she didn't, the text tells us she didn't wonder, but he stated it in mercy and compassion. He wanted her to know that she was healed. And life could resume as she once knew it 12 years earlier. It's interesting, in verse 29, I'll read it. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. In verse 29, there is the phrase, she was healed. That is in the perfect tense of the Greek language. The perfect tense describes a completed action, completed action that has enduring result. Beth and I were married August 6, 1983, in Waterford, Michigan. That was a completed action. We never got more married in the 36 years than we were married on August 6, 1983, a completed action. But that completed action of us getting married has had a wonderful result for the last 36-plus years. Jesus healed her, completed action, but it had enduring results for her. And this assured the woman that life would never again be a life of defilement and being ostracized and being sick. And so we come, as we come to the close of looking at this particular miracle, there are some lessons to be seen in the Lord Jesus himself. There's some lessons to be seen in his disciples who were present that day. There's some lessons to see in the healed woman. And there are some lessons to see in the extremely concerned father, Jairus. So let's get to these lessons. Number one, there's the inquiry of the Lord. We see it in verse 30. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? You know, God never asks a question to gain information which he lacks. Jesus didn't ask the question because he really didn't know who had touched him. He asked the question to give the healed woman the opportunity to testify that she knew she was healed. He wanted her to testify, to give a testimony to that big crowd that she had exercised faith in Jesus, had secretly touched his garment, and she was healed. You know, God doesn't bring you and me through a trial, except he's made it a testimony. And if God brings you through a trial and you refuse to give the testimony, that is not right. A silent Christian doesn't edify other Christians, and a silent Christian doesn't challenge the unsaved. God has brought each of us. If we had a testimony service, I would say that the vast majority, if not all of us, can look to a trial that Jesus Christ has brought us through. So my question is, have you testified about it to anybody in this church over a cup of coffee. God made her trial what he intended to be her testimony. That's why he asked, who touched me? The second thing after the inquiry of the Lord is the ignorance 
of the disciples. Verse 31. And his disciples said to him, you see the multitude pressing on in on you and you say, who touched me? <laughs> really, Lord? <laughs> you noticed? It's a herd of people. Have you noticed? They're pressing up against you like bougainvilleas on a bedsheet. Have you noticed, Lord? Not a valid question, Jesus. The ignorance of the disciples showed their two errors. The first error they had was they thought it was physical touch that the Lord was interested in. But of course, it was the healing touch that mattered the most to him. The second error of these ignorant disciples that day was they assumed that something could be impossible to Jesus. They assumed that it was impossible for Jesus or anybody else to know who had touched him. That's a mistake. If we assume that anything is impossible to Jesus, we're making a mistake. And when we make that mistake that we assume incorrectly that anything is impossible to Jesus, I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll kill your hope, it'll stop your prayers, and it will shrink your God. Don't do that. It wasn't just the inquiry of the Lord. It wasn't just the ignorance of the disciples. In the third place, the involvement of the woman. The involvement of the woman, 32 to 34. He looked around to see who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. When she had been found out, she was understandably fearful. Because by Jewish law, a ceremonially unclean person made a ceremonially clean person unclean by simply touching them. That's why she couldn't live in her own house. That's why she had to live outside the city gate. That's why she wasn't allowed to be in the temple. She knew that. And so therefore, she was afraid that Jesus would be angry with her because she had touched him when she was unclean. She was fearful. But isn't it wonderful that in his gentle and loving way, he responded to her and he called her daughter? 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus not only showed her patience, not only showed her tenderness, he did so at the highest possible level. He showed her tenderness and patience and love and acceptance at the highest possible human level as if he were her dad, as if she were his daughter. What reassurance. She came away from that precious interchange with Christ. She came away having learned that she could be involved with the Savior in a family tone and not in a tone of fear. She was also given the greatest possible gift she could have been given by Jesus, a clean bill of health. It was one thing that she sensed she was clean, one sense that she sensed she was healed. It was another sense that it was certifiable, that it was stated, that it was declared, and that it could be declared by the Jewish officials who dealt with those things. 
She was given a clean bill of health, and therefore Jesus sent her on her way to the temple in peace. Not with a racing heart, not with a fearful, doubtful, anxious mind. In peace, go to the temple and present yourself there. You're cleansed. You're healed. You're acceptable by Jewish law where you once were not. Jesus sent her to the temple leadership for a medical evaluation Knowing that she would pass the test, Jesus knew she would, and Jesus assured her that you will pass the test. And religiously, you will be declared medically clean as per Old Testament Jewish law. What a jump must have been in her step when she walked, however, the distance from where Jesus had healed her to her temple. Last not only the lesson of the inquiry of the Lord and the ignorance of the disciples and the involvement of the woman, but last, the influence on Jairus. Everything the Lord Jesus does has an influence on others. What he's doing in your life, that's what I was talking about, testifying. What he's doing in my life, when we testify, it has a positive influence on others. And the miracle of healing the woman who was hemorrhaging had a wonderful influence, I'm sure, on Jairus, 35 to 36. And while he was still speaking, that is to the woman about being healed, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Immediately after the woman was healed, bad news. In fact, the worst possible news came to Jairus, who was in on that whole scene. And the news was, your 12-year-old has died. It's too late. You joined the crowd to get to Jesus, to ask him to come to your house to save her life, and it's Too late. She's dead. Don't trouble the teacher. Crushing news. But the Lord Jesus Christ back then and the Lord Jesus Christ this morning puts the 180 in the degree turnarounds of life. He specializes in 180 degree turnarounds. And Jesus raised the little girl visibly We're told the crowd was astounded. Jesus raised a little girl from the dead verifiably. Jesus very carefully picked six witnesses of Jesus' choice to come into the bedroom where the body lay so they could be eyewitnesses that Jesus Christ raised her from the dead. Jesus Christ raised her authoritatively. On the first command to her dead corpse, she responded and came back to life. And Jesus Christ raised her from the dead instantly. Immediately she arose. And Jesus Christ raised her from the dead physically and literally. He told them to give her something to eat. She was not a ghost. And so I think that it's very likely that these two miracles, both in history and in the gospel record, are juxtaposed. They're next-door neighbors. The woman is healed of her hemorrhaging for 12 years, and the 12-year-old girl who died is raised from the dead. And Jairus was on hand to see Jesus Christ heal the woman, and what Jairus observed with Jesus healing the woman could be put to good use to Jairus facing the death of his daughter. What do I mean by that? 
I mean that God had purpose in Jairus being in the crowd that day and being acquainted with the healing of the woman. You see, the Lord had Jairus witness the healed woman's fear subside because Jairus would very soon fear having to, after he got the bad news of his daughter's death. And the Lord had Jairus hear his commendation of the woman's faith so that he would demonstrate his own commendable faith in Jesus when all hope appeared to be lost when the messenger came and said she's dead. And it turned out that the healed woman's testimony must have greatly helped the grieving dad in his time of shock and grief. You see, these two miracles were planned by God Almighty to be almost concurrent. These two miracles were planned by God Almighty to go hand in hand because if the distraught dad had not witnessed the first miracle, could we guess that perhaps he wouldn't have been quick to have same faith for Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead? I don't know. But I do know that God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. And I do know that God orchestrates all the circumstances of all of our lives like he did Jairus to do what he wants to do for the good of the person he's orchestrating the things for, but also through our testimony to the good of the people that know us. So this concludes our study on Jesus' miracle of healing the hemorrhaging woman and raising the dead girl. May we think about it. May we act on it. May we testify this week how God has made a trial into a testimony. Lord Jesus, thank you for your power. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your saving us as rebels to make us your adopted children, your daughters or your sons. Lord Jesus, thank you that you still bring the likes of us to trials, deep trials, complex trials, hard trials. Thank you that you bring us through trials and turn them into testimonies. Help us, Lord Jesus, to give those testimonies liberally, frequently, prayerfully. For we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful name together, amen. Amen.